Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. We've been going through the book of Acts now, and we're jumping into chapter 5 this morning. Quick review, we've seen... The Holy Spirit poured out on the church, day of Pentecost, everybody declaring the marvelous works of God. And everybody says, how is it we hear it in our own language, the mighty works of God? And 3,000 people were saved that day. Going on, Peter and John, they come to the gate beautiful at the temple. They're there to worship. They continue doing uh, all the things that they always did. Now they're bringing Jesus. And he looks at the man at the gate beautiful and says, silver and gold I have not, but what I have I give to you in the name of of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he rose, and it says he went walk, shouting or jumping and shouting and praising him, right? Leaping for joy. Just can't contain him. Why? Because he is worthy in the name of Jesus. And, and so the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the, the, the super liberal, um, the, the kind of like I don't know, in the world today, just people that do it because it's, it's what I like to say politically expedient. If I go to church, I can get a job, I can get a good reputation in the community. They're doing it for all the reasons. They're not doing it because He is worthy. In fact, they reject Jesus. They reject the resurrection. They reject miracles. And now they've got this issue they're dealing with, and they bring Peter and John, and they say, uh, don't you preach in the name of Jesus anymore, right? They severely threaten them, it says. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. That's on you. If it triggers you, you deal with it. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard, right? And they go back to the church and they just they do what they do. They got into another prayer meeting and they're just lifting their prayers up to God about these threats and this, these challenges, this persecution that's now coming on the church. And in verse 29 in their prayer, they say, now, Lord, look on the threats and grant your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy. I'm living testimony of what Jesus can do to a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a child of God. I'm heaven bound. I'm not there yet, but I'm not what I used to be. And as we get together, we give that testimony to the world. It says in verse 32, last week, the multitude and those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that he, any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And we looked at that last week, and this is where we kind of ended up, where they all pooled their resources for the common cause of supporting one another and promoting Jesus Christ, getting the good news out to the world. And one man in particular, Joseph, or Joseph, who was nicknamed by the apostles Barnabas, Barney, son of encouragement. Barnabas, a Levite from the island of Cyprus, was there in the early church, and he was a 
a Christian, right? He was born again, but he was a Jew, a Levite. We call that a Messianic Jew, a Jew who has received their Messiah. And Barnabas took all that he owned, the property in Cyprus, and laid it at the feet of the apostles. And everybody shared as there was need. And they had all these things in common. And we see the Holy Spirit just working on the church through the gift of evangelism and the, the gifts of tongues and the gifts of healings rise up and walk and the gifts of giving. And so much of the Holy Spirit is now being manifest as Jesus promised that you will receive power. You will be endued from power on high that you may be my witnesses. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit has filled them to overflowing and they cannot but speak the things which we have seen. And so, uh, revival breaks out in the church, but persecution breaks out against the church. Now, last week we saw S Satan coming against the church, right, versus the church. And really, it's kind of funny how it's the government, it's the religious leaders, they're all cracking down on these people that are born again. Now, there Satan is attacking from outside, but this morning in chapter 5, we're going to see that Satan is going to join the church. Did you know that Satan comes to church on Sunday? If you don't, just listen to your mind as I'm speaking this morning. And all those little darts that fly through your head. What, what, why, why was I thinking that? Some kind of distraction, some kind of thing to get me off that one accord and one heart, right? And we just always have to be on guard because Satan is a liar. He's a thief. And he, he want, seeks to destroy and kill. And he doesn't take a day off. Not Sunday, not Monday. And so the church is going to now face this threat from within. Let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 5. But certain, a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? This, again, is another gift of the Holy Spirit. It's known as the word of knowledge, that God has spoken into Peter's heart, into Peter's mind, something, a secret that nobody knows, but now God has revealed it to Peter that he may speak it into another person's heart. Often, amongst Christians, this is what a good close brother or sister, somebody who's there with you, maybe discipling you, maybe your mentor, but people that you can really talk about anything with, they might just come up to you someday and say, you know, this God's put it on my heart, you're dealing with this thing. And you're like, nobody knows that. How do you know that? It's the Holy Spirit. We're born again. We have the, the gift of God. And God can use that tool, that word of knowledge, to crack open a closet Crack open a room in your heart that you are trying to ignore or not deal with. And it's a wonderful opportunity to come clean and to, and, to, and to bring it out into the light. But that's not what's going to happen here. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? The answer to that is, well, yes. And what he's saying is, that was yours to do with it as you please. Nobody forced you. Nobody required you. You're not obligated to give anything to the church. It's yours. You do with it as you want. But if you're going to do it and give to the church, then you want to give according to 
the scriptural pattern. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6 of Matthew, beginning at verse 1, says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable, charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their own reward. Jesus now, still speaking, red letters, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. He goes on to say in verse 19 of Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? Your giving is between you and God. You don't do so grudgingly, out of obligation. We pass an offering bag. The reason we do that is not to shame you into putting something in the bag. It's an opportunity to give to the Lord. And we specifically do it before we dismiss all the children. Because we think it's one of the greatest privileges of parenthood to teach your children, to raise them up in the Word of God, just as we had that baby dedication. And it's your opportunity for your children to see you drop something in the bag. And I can tell you this right now, when they count the money after the service, and it goes through... The thing that just stops them every time in their tracks are the nickels and the quarters and the dimes and the pennies. Somebody took out of their treasure, one of our little ones, because it was modeled for them. The parents or somebody said, just give it to Jesus. And they took that thing, which is precious to them, and they gave it to Jesus. That's why we do it, to help others learn the joy of giving. The, 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 you can't outgive God the blessings that accrue to your account. And, and again, it's something you do privately, you know. If you need to get a piece of paper, just wad it up and throw it in the bag if you're feeling tripped out on it. But maybe we need a word of knowledge. What's going on in your heart, okay? It's not, it's not a show. We don't do it. Your right hand shouldn't even know what your left hand is doing. Don't even argue about it in your head. Just if you feel like giving, give. If you don't feel like giving, don't give. But let me ask you, if you don't feel like giving, why? And remember, I use the word feel. If you can't give, if you don't have, if you owe rent, you owe electricity, you owe a debt, you need to pay that debt. And maybe you don't have the money to give that day. That's fine. But if it's something you feel like, oh, I want to keep that, <laughs> then keep it. Don't make a show out of it. Don't say anybody. Just, in fact, keep your lips zipped. Just keep it, right? And, and, if it's, and if it's of the Lord, great, enjoy it. You know, God doesn't begrudge you having things. You don't have to take a vow of poverty when you become a Christian. It doesn't work that way, okay? Um, 
it, Jesus says that though the scriptures teach us that though he was rich, he became poor for our sake. He gave it all. He gave up heaven. He gave up his place with the Father. He came to earth and lived amongst us in this cesspool of sin that he might show us the way home. And he gave it all, right? But in that, we have to understand, if you would like to be his disciple, you must daily take up your cross and follow him, right? You have to, you have to you consider... What does my father do? My father's a generous God. He's gracious. He's good. He pours out abundance on us all. And I just, I want to be like my father in heaven. I want to be like Jesus. And so we give. But here Ananias and Sapphira, they've got this thing going on in their heart, right? And, and in this, let's, well, I'll read a little bit further. And I'm just going to ask you a couple quick questions after we get here. So while it was in your own, was it was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own control? You didn't have to do anything with that money other than what you purposed in your heart to do. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Did you see that word there, lied? Do you notice in the media, do you notice in society, in the world today, people go, they do all kinds of mental gymnastics to not say the word lie. They talk about people that are um, prevaricators or disseminators or all these $5 words that nobody knows because what they want to say is you're a liar, but that's like a four-letter word. <gasps> you can't use that word. The Bible just did. <laughs> you have not lied to men but to God. And truly, if you're going to use that four-letter word, you'd be better off lying to me than to God. But if you think in your heart you're going to hide what you're doing, all things are open to God. He knows what's going on in your heart, and what He wants is a cheerful giver. It's just somebody that says, I just want to give for the joy of giving, not because I think I'm going to get something back, not because of strings attached, not because if I give a lot, then God will like me better. Do you not know how much God likes you? Do you not know how much God loves you? Do you not know that 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary, as Jesus sat there nailed to that cross, he was thinking of you. You. That's how much he loves you. You can't make him love you any more or any less. And whatever you put in the plate doesn't change his love for you. He died for you. But that should change our heart, right? That, 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 that selfish heart, that greedy heart. This should break us to the point we say, I, I want to give. And do you know the liberty the freedom in being generous. You can't outgive God. Proverbs says, He who casts his bread on the waters will not go hungry. Okay? It's cause and effect. You just put it out there and let God handle the other side. You just be a vessel of grace and let God take care of how it comes out. You've not lied to men, but to God. Verse 5, and then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. I'll bet. Man, can you imagine what kind of service that would be right now? <laughs> Somebody comes in here, and I call you out, and you're like, and on, boom, down, they're dead. Next. <laughs> Whoa, Okay. God takes this seriously, okay? Now, it doesn't happen all the time or none of you would be here. 
But just like everything in the scripture, there are opportunities, there are uh, teachable moments, right? There are things that God does that we can then see and understand what it is he's trying to say, what is the import of what he has just shown us. Is this a big deal or not? Well, ask Ananias. It, it was, okay? Uh, and great fear came upon those who heard these things. And the young man arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Wow, this is heavy. Now, what's happening here? What, what kinds of sins can we identify here? I think lying, right? That's one that's pretty clear. In fact, uh, in the Ten Commandments, you know number nine? Thou shall not bear false witness. It's like one of the basics, right? And uh, many of us haven't been raised to know the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, they're, they're just like kind of, a, kind of a starter set, you know. Our grandson Levi knows the Ten Commandments. He could read this. He picks up different books, and we read little Bible stories, and he identifies all the sins of the Ten Commandments that were in that story. He was reading the story of Ahab and Jezebel. Cheryl was reading it the other day, and he goes, oh, that's a scary story. Those guys are liars and thieves and murderers. And it's like, yeah, he knew, he knew his commandments, right? Number nine, thou shalt not lie, um, or thou shalt not bear false witness. Before that, number eight, thou shalt not steal. Well, did they steal, or did they just keep and lie about it? In the book of Malachi, we read in chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, Malachi speaking to the children of Israel, what, will a man rob God? Obviously, you'd be stupid to do that, right? Ah, yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? And God responds, in tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. It's the only place I know for a fact that God has tested us or told us, try it. Try tithing. Try giving to me. Try outgiving me. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour on you blessings that you have no idea how to contain at all. Now, in reality, as we sit here right now, I realize that all of us are coming into this room from different walks of life, from different positions, from different situations. And it doesn't mean that, oh, well, I put a dollar in the offering, or I put five dollars in, and I got my tie-tack, and now God is obligated to just open the windows of heaven and just give me a new car. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? I'm not sure if it would. That might change our mode of forgiving. Wouldn't it just be great if we just gave 
without expecting anything in return. Just because we have it. We're king's kids. We're children of the Most High God. He's blessed us. And the privilege of a king, the ultimate privilege of a king is he needs nothing, but he is free to give everything because he has so much he can't ever run out. And we are children of the Most High God. And so this is a, a, a beautiful opportunity. So there's, there's robbing God, there's you know stealing, there's lying. But ultimately, the heart of what's going on here is hypocrisy, being two-faced, having something in your heart and having something else on your face. What's going on inside doesn't match what's going on outside. The, the Greek word hypokritos is the word that they used for actors in those Greek plays. And they would take a mask and they would hold it up in front of their face as they're acting and they were called two-faced hypocrites, okay? And uh, this, is, this is really, I think, the heart of all of this. Jesus would teach to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. I'm going to get to that in a little bit, which is hypocrisy, even those religious leaders and, and how they went on like that. Um, so they buried her, right? And immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last, and the young man came in and carried her out dead, buried her next to her husband. Galatians chapter 6 teaches us, this is all throughout the Scriptures, right? The Bible's a unique and unified message from cover to cover, and we see these things, how God would like us to behave as Christians. It says um, in verse 7 of Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he, will, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You could say that Ananias and Sapphira were so sorry. S-E-W. Boy, let me try this one again. So, don't sow to the flesh. They were so sorry. They had reaped corruption. That's probably the worst joke I've done in five years. Now you laugh at me. You don't laugh at the joke. You laugh at me. Okay, good audience this morning. (laughs) Oliver Wendell Holm, a Supreme Court justice, godly man, uh, once said, sin has many forms, but lie is the handle that fits them all. (laughs) Lying, this business of not telling the truth. You know, we see, I used this word earlier, but dissemination. That's one of the $5 words that they like to use for covering things up. Um, dis, we know, is not doing the right thing, and semination is the word for planting a seed. Dissemination is planting false seeds. It's saying things that aren't true, okay? And this is what they're doing. They're sowing lies. You sow lies, you're going to reap destruction. That's how it works, right? Lying, it's an adjective. It means easily not telling the truth. 
That's a dictionary definition, right? There's other words for lying. So if you're trying to figure out a nice way to tell somebody they're a liar, or if somebody says this to you, maybe you'll figure it out. Instead of lying, we could say untruthful, dishonest, mendacious, perfidious, deceitful, deceiving, deceptive, duplicious, dissimulating, dissembling, double-dealing, two-faced, underhanded, disingenuous, crooked, sneaky, tricky, fibs, a little white lie. Always of saying the same thing. You're not dealing in truth. The opposite of lying? Honesty. Just saying what it is. Being in the habit of telling the truth. Synonym, 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 synonym? (laughs) Synonyms, words that mean the same thing, similar words for being honest. You could say they're outspoken, they're truthful, they're reliable, they're genuine, they're credible, they're frank, they're candid, they're true, they're forthright, direct, forthcoming, earnest, believable, trustworthy, unpretentious, plain-spoken, open-hearted, above-board, trustworthy. The Scriptures teach us that we are to speak the truth in love. Sometimes speaking the truth without love is just cruel. And loving somebody but not speaking the truth is just as cruel. We should let our speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Put forward a little bit of that truth. We need to avoid lying. Lying is like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. All right? Maybe you've played with one. You get maybe at the ocean, you're out there and they're you do that, and you can kind of maybe float on it if you get it right until you go over, right? But that's one lie. That's one beach ball. What happens when you try to hold two of them down? Three, five, 15. They're coming up. They're coming out. You can't hold lies down. They're going to come out. They're going to get you. The easy thing is to live honestly and You'll be, it, Jesus says it, the truth, it'll set you free. There's a, a cute little story, and I'm dealing with something that's deadly serious. Ask Ananias, ask Sapphira. But there's a cute little story about fibs, white lies. This came to me off the internet. I'm going to read it. I'm not picking on a denomination or anything like that. It's just, it's kind of cute, and I'll just read it. It's called The Baptist White Lie Cake. Baptist white lie cake. We should probably call it the Calvary Chapel white lie cake. Have you ever told a white lie? You're going to love this, especially all the ladies who bake for church events. Alice Grayson was to bake a cake for the Baptist Church Ladies Group in Tuscaloosa, but forgot to do it until the last minute. She remembered in the morning of the bake sale, and after rummaging through cabinets, found an angel food cake mix and quickly made it 
while also drying her hair and dressing and helping her son pack up for scout camp. When she took the cake from the oven, the center of it had dropped flat, and the cake was horribly disfigured, and she exclaimed, Oh dear, there's no time to bake another cake. This cake was important to Alice because she did so want to fit in at her new church and in her new community of friends. So, being inventive, she looked around the house for something to build up the center of the cake. She found it in the bathroom, a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> she plucked it in and then covered it with icing. Not only did the finished product look beautiful, <laughs> it looked perfect. And before she left the house to drop the cake by the church and head for work, Alice woke her daughter and gave her some money and specific instructions to be at the bake sale the moment it opened at 9.30 and buy that cake and bring it home. <laughs> when the daughter arrived at the sale, she found the attractive perfect cake had already been sold. Amanda grabbed her cell phone and called her mom. Alice was horrified. <laughs> she was beside herself. Everyone would know. What would they think? She would be ostracized, talked about, ridiculed. All night, Alice lay awake in bed thinking about people pointing fingers at her and talking about her behind her back. You know how it feels when you lie? You don't get a sweet night's sleep. You can't put your head on your pillow. You're guilty. You're ashamed, and your heart tells you. The next day, Alice promised herself she would try not to think about the cake and would attend the fancy luncheon bridal shower at the home of a fellow church member and try to have a good time. She did not really want to attend because the hostess was a snob who more than once had looked down her nose at the fact that Alice was a single parent and not from the founding families of Tuscaloosa. But having already RSVP'd, she couldn't think of a believable excuse to stay home. The meal was elegant, the company was definitely upper, upper crust Old South, and to Alice's horror, the cake in question was presented for dessert. <laughs> Alice felt the blood drain from her body when she saw the cake. She started out of her chair to tell the hostess all about it, but before she could get to her feet, the mayor's wife said, what a beautiful cake. Alice, still stunned, sat back in her chair when she heard the hostess, who was a permanent church, church member, say, Thank you. I baked it myself. <laughs> a little levity, but honestly, honestly, there's a word honestly. Honestly, lying is sin. It's sin. Little white lies, big lies, all lies. Jesus would teach us in John chapter 8, again, dealing with these religious leaders, don't speak in the name of Jesus. We read in, oh, sorry, John 8. beginning at verse 44, as they're arguing with Jesus about his, who he was, claims to be the Christ. They were mocking him saying, you don't even have a dad. 
I'm going to use a terrible word right now, but this is what they said, literally. They said, you are a bastard. Okay, I say that to shock you. And the reason I say that, it's a true word, right? If you're a veterinarian, you use it all the time. But in church, we never use that word. But the reality is, this is Jesus, and it came off of His lips, right? That he's, he, or the Pharisees' lips. This is what they called Jesus. This is what they had to say to Him. So He answers back in verse 44 of John chapter 8, you are of your father, the devil, and that you do the desires and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Funny how when you come straight with people who are in the practice of lying, what do they assume instantly? Oh, you're not telling the truth. Why do they say that to you? Because that's their wheelhouse. That's where they operate from. Everything that comes out of their mouth isn't true. So they assume everybody else is lying too. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. It's heavy stuff. Jesus, this is one you know, you're probably familiar with, at least some of it. John 3, 16. You know this one? Let's read it. And I'm going to continue reading. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Going on in verse 18, He who believes in Him is not condemned. Raise your hand if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe He is your Lord and Savior, and you are born again, and you are heaven-bound. Hallelujah. Good. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. It's like going into a nasty old room and flipping on the light and all the cockroaches run away. You don't want the light. You want to be in the dark. You know, why do, they, why do you think they have bars, always have dark lights? I mean, you can walk into a bar at 12 noon in the middle of the day and it's dark in there. Why? Because that's where sin hangs out, in the darkness. It says, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. There are people that just live in darkness. Now, this is a human condition, and pretty much every single one of us qualifies as a human, which means you qualify as a sinner, and you have a sin condition. And one of the manifestations of that human nature is lying. 
Often, we lie to cover up feelings of inadequacy, low self-esteem. We're, we're just trying to make ourselves a little better than we really are. Maybe we're exaggerating a little bit. Maybe we're just trying to make ourselves in a better light, right? And often we do that at others' expenses. And somehow we feel or seem to think that that makes us better. Other times we lie just because we're, we're mean and we're trying to deceive people. We're trying to trick people. We're trying to get something out of people. As a Christian, Jesus came to die for those sins and free you and let you know the truth, that you wouldn't have to live in that. But it's, it's human nature, and clearly even these Sanhedrin leaders, this is the Supreme Court of Israel, they command them, they threaten them, do not preach or teach in the name of this Jesus. Do not heal in His name. You know what they're telling them to do? To lie. We can't but speak those things that we've seen. And the government is coming down on them and saying, you can't tell the truth. Health and Human Services came out with something just this week in the news, a new rule within the whole HHS that if you do not call a person by their preferred names and pronouns, you will be fired. You know what that is? That's the federal government firing people unless they lie. It's now become the status quo in our government, in our schools and universities, in our social media, to lie. And anybody that doesn't will get canceled. We cancel all the people that want to tell the truth. We see this happening on our streets today. Protests going on across the country with this conflict in the Middle East, Israel and Gaza, Hamas, the Palestinians. And how many people are just denying the truth or speaking out against it. We have representatives, elected representatives in our U.S. House of Congress, Rashida Tlaib, who just got censored, Ilhan Omar, Jamal Bowman, Cory Bush, have all came out against Israel and the Jews, blatantly from the floor of the house, proclaiming anti-Semitism. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That is a call for the genocide, the extermination, the elimination of a human population. And if you want to label it Jewish, great, but it's humans and they want to wipe them out and kill them. And that's going on. Do you understand and do you know that in Islam, there's a, there's a, a doctrine called al-takiyah. Al-takiyah. And it's a doctrine of lying when it's expedient. You're actually told through the Quran, a number of the surahs and the hadiths, the commentaries that come out from the imams, they say, sure, lie. 
if it promotes the cause of Islam, even if you're standing on the floor of the House of Representatives. You can lie boldly, and Allah will bless you for that. It's in religion, it's in our culture, our social media, our government. It is a plague on our land. And in the church, what are we going to do? <laughs> we got to come clean. We got to admit it. We got to quit it. We've got to get past all of that. Well, there is a cure for that. Let's see, I've got to find my place. Okay, we pick up at Acts chapter 5, verse 10. Then immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last, and the young man came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Here comes the cure. So, great fear. Mega phobos. Great fear. The kind of fear that makes you tremble. The kind of fear that makes you weak in the knees. The kind of fear that makes you truly understand the gravity of the moment. Great fear came upon all the church and all who heard these things. Why did this happen? Stealing, lying, hypocrisy in the church. God needs to root that evil out. Just as we have terrorists who would plant themselves in hospitals, in schools, they, they need to be rooted out. And in the church, our witness is in jeopardy when we can be all honest and praising God and shouting His name and glorifying Him, and then on Tuesday or Thursday, all of a sudden, there we are, caught in a lie, being hypocrites. You know what the number one complaint of non-Christians is about the church and why they don't go to church and why they don't want to have anything to do with that Jesus. You know what the number one reason they say, I don't want anything to do with that? Because they're all a bunch of hypocrites. Sadly, there's a lot, a lot of reason why people come to that conclusion. The cure. I told you the cure. Take your medicine. What is your medicine? Anybody? What did I just say? Great fear, fear of the Lord, respect for God, understanding that what we're dealing with is life and death. We might call it a fib. We might call it a little white lie. And the wages of sin is, it's death. It's serious. And so that's what we need to come to that place. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, beginning in verse Verse 1, in the meantime, when a numerable multitude of people had gathered together, so they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, 
which is hypocrisy. Leaven, that agent like yeast that you would put in bread, and pretty soon it moves through the whole loaf. And the whole loaf gets all puffed up, all proud, all arrogant, all that. A little leaven, a little lie. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Can you imagine going to heaven? And there, as you get there, you look up, and there is the world's biggest, well, not the world's, heaven's biggest, Jumbotron TV. And there is you. You're the star. Welcome to heaven, Mike Yost. Let's look at your life. And we all watch Mike's life. Can you imagine? Does that make you afraid? Does that concern you? Well, maybe I should put your name in there. Maybe that would change it. But he goes on to say, it's going to be proclaimed from the housetop. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 4, Jesus speaking. And I say to you, my friends... Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him whom, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say, fear him. We get our priorities straight. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than sparrows. You're a child of God. Your sins have been forgiven. They were forgiven 2,000 years ago. You weren't even born. You weren't even, I mean, thousands of years ago. Your sin has already been paid for. The question is, are you living in that freedom? Are you receiving that gift? Are you walking in the light and the life and the joy of being a child of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, your glorying is not good. You're all puffed up. Your glorying is not good. You know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Time to be done. I think we get the idea, right? How many, when's the last time you went to a church and the pastor preached all morning long about lying? It doesn't happen a lot, does it? wonder why that is. It's one of the beautiful things about going through the Scriptures, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. When you get there, you deal with it. Some people talk, you know, well, you know I've had people come to me, oh, I love fire and brimstone, man, that just, that motivates me so much. And that does for some people. Other people are like, oh, I just love grace and mercy. That, that motivates me so much. Like, yeah, that's all good too. And each one of us responds in different ways to different things. But I will say this, I am under obligation as I get up here and I preach the Word of God that I have to take what is recorded and preach it the way it's been laid out for us. 
And if you don't think people coming into the church and lying is a life and death matter, you have not read that chapter. That's how God sees it. That's how God laid it out for us. And I'm obligated to make sure we all get that. I'm under the same condemnation as you, but I'm also under the same forgiveness. And we just need to look up and figure out where we are in all of this. I'm just going to finish out 12 through 16 and worship team. There's a bunch of you this morning. Come on up. How sad for Ananias and Sapphira. Do you know what the name Ananias means in Hebrew? His name means God is gracious. The irony, right? Here's a guy whose name means God is just generous, gracious, giving, just blessing, bestowing favor. God, that's my name. God is gracious. And then he takes and he lies to God. He robs God. He steals from God. And he plays the hypocrite. And his wife, Sapphira. Sapphira means beautiful. Beauty on the outside. But what was going on on the inside? Now, I say all this not to put a trip on you. I say this to set you free. If there's something God has spoken to you this morning, <laughs> and there's a chance there was, this is your opportunity just to get together with that trusted brother or sister. Do not share it with people that don't hold your life dear. Do not share it with people that are going to go blab it and tell the world. And if somebody tells you something, that's a sacred honor. It's not for you to go tell the world. It's for you to take and help them lift it up to God that they can be free. But this is an opportunity to get free. Verse 12 says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yeah, now that's what the church looks like. Everybody out in public daily praising God, teaching, preaching, and just going over what God has done for us and will do for you, sharing that good news, that great gospel. I believe that's why He birthed the springs here in Hayburn, that we could be that light here in our community. Verse 13, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. Now, that's a really funky verse, and I'm going to take just one second. None of the rest. That means all the other Jews that come to the temple all the time. All the other, you could say in our community, all the people who go to church, but, you know, they're just, <laughs> they, they're just walking. They're doing the motions. They're, they're, they're two-faced. They're hypocrites. They're one thing on Sunday. They're another thing on Monday. All the rest didn't dare join. Good idea, honestly. That's what kept me from being a Christian for many, many years. I realized, I knew that if I, this Christian thing means I really have to honestly, in my heart, from a heart of heart, believe it like I own it, like it, I live it and breathe it. I have to believe Jesus is God. I got to really believe it. And I got to believe that as God, He is sovereign and He can do whatever He wants with me. And He's told me how I should live and I need to. I'm going to be accountable to Him. I've got to live that way. And that kept me from being a Christian for a long time because I didn't want to live that way. And all these others were afraid to join. But not because they had sin in their heart. Their e deeds were evil. They didn't want to come to the light. But look how it goes. It says, uh, none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. They had a whole lot of respect for them. And you know what? That's the same for you and I. 
We've come out of darkness and into His marvelous light. We walk as a Christian. They see our integrity. They see our character. They see our honesty. They see our hope, our joy, our peace. And wow, I don't know what it is you got, but man, you're a new creature in Christ. Man, you're, you're, you're changed. You're not like you used to be. And I say, amen. I'm a child of God now. Highly esteemed. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes, both men and women, so that they brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing might fall on some of them. Now, I just want to say really quickly, oh, if I could just get under Peter's shadow, I could get healed. And maybe you've got an issue you need healing from. Maybe it's not telling the truth. You know, we go, oh, I got cancer. Yeah, you probably have that and other things, right? And the, and the reality is we've seen in the Scriptures, God doesn't heal everybody instantly in all ways. And the truth is, even with Lazarus, Jesus said, I waited till he was dead, dead, before he we went and visited, because I wanted to show you I have power over death, and I called him out of the tomb. Jesus can do even that. But Lazarus died again. What a raw deal for Lazarus. Man, I'm in heaven, and I get called back to earth just to be a show and tell. He still had to die. Death is not our enemy, okay? It's lost its sting. We live eternally forever. And so that's not the thing to worry about. Um, but that they might be healed based on their faith, not based on Peter's shadow, based on God could do this if He wants to. Lord, I'm available. Do whatever you want with me. Paul would say, I've got a thorn in the flesh. I prayed three times for you to remove it. You didn't. In fact, you answered me. You said, my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to keep the thorn and my grace. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You are the way you are now if you've given your heart to the Lord because God wants to use you the way you are. Your testimony Leon gave the most amazing testimony yesterday morning at the men's ministry. Yeah, you missed it if you weren't here, guys. And again, it's, what's amazing is it's true. It's the power of what God can do in a life yielded to Him. Saying, Lord, here I am. Do with me whatever you want to do with me. And then mean it and let Him. And He might use you in a different kind of ministry than maybe the person sitting next to you. That's okay. He's going to use you. Verse 16. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Absolutely amazing. Does God heal? Absolutely. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. That's my God. And if you've got something you need to pray for, the Scriptures say, come to the elders. We'll anoint you with oil. We'll pray. But then, not my will, but God's will be done. I don't know what God wants to do in your life or my life. I don't know. I don't know my life. I just have to be yielded to Him. Lord, not my will, Thy will be done. I'll come to you with my prayer, and I'll accept my life as that answer knowing that you always answer prayer. So whatever I see, that's your answer. Then what am I going to do with it? 
I'm going to take my life and I'm going to live it to God and say, there, let me be your trophy. Use me. Father God, we thank you for your word, which goes into the deepest recesses of our heart, pries open those closet doors, shines light into our life. Truth disinfects us, (laughs) sets us free. I pray this morning, as your Holy Spirit has been speaking in our hearts, that we would receive your word implanted in our hearts. Let it produce fruit, good fruit in our life. I pray this week as we go forward and we again encounter neighbors, co-workers, social media, wherever it is that we would go, we would take you with us. We would have that joy of celebrating. I cannot but speak the things that I've seen and heard. Lord, we don't ask that you would take these trials away from us, these tribulations, these persecutions. We ask for strong backs to bear it. We ask for your Holy Spirit that in these trying times, we could break forth and shine for you. They would be opportunity for your glory that more could see what we see and know you the way we do. So, Lord, we pray this prayer in faith, knowing that work you began in us, you are continuing all the way to completion. And we give you great, great thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.